welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hey everybody, it's me, Rock and Roll DM, DM Dave here. So we got a really special episode tonight. Uh, some of you probably have already seen it if you're if you're on the socials. But we got uh, invited over by our friends over at Tabletop Journeys, uh, Luanika, Josh, and Glenn, to come on and chat a little bit. So uh, they were kind enough to let us use their episode for our episode as we try to corral six DMs all together to talk about shared universes. Even though we were we were separated by hundreds and possibly thousands of miles this is what we came up with hope you enjoy i think that we should go ahead and introduce tonight's guest and get tonight's show rolling on here so we have got a long time inspirations for luanika luanika has been talking about the fine gentleman that we have on show this evening pretty much since we started doing a podcast in fact and so we are really excited to have three wise dms on with us tonight so nice. let me go ahead and go down the list here chris welcome to tabletop journeys nice to see you and Tony, thank you for coming on also. All right, and I hope I get this one right. So it's Dave the Rock and Roll DM, am I right? Woo! That's close <laughs> enough. I go by most things. But what I go by tonight is he roller coaster. He got early warning. He got muddy water. He won mojo filter. He said one and one and one is three. Got to be good looking cause he's so hard to see. Come, Come together, together right now. now. Over, Over me. me. Ah. Yeah, dude. Oh. All right, sorry for bogarting in on the chorus, my bad. No, I was hoping that it would inspire everybody to just start going like, yeah, dude. No, like I said, I'm an academic musician, and I don't actually say that's him. But man, no singing guys, with all your music background, Josh. Oh, he sings. I was a low brass player. He lies. That was, you know, I, <laughs> He'll play the instruments behind you. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Many but, a night oh. he was my backup singing Lincoln Park. <laughs> I was gonna say I've seen him do karaoke, so he is lying. Okay, now, I used to be able to do the high parts whenever we sang six, sang sticks. Also, but uh, that ship has sailed about ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, but kudos, you go, that's tough goodness. to do over the internet to go ahead and stay as synchronized as you guys were. So nice job on that. Yeah, all the the cuts and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. okay so now i kind of i'll fix it in post yeah i'm sorry i just want to i want to like scuttle but the whole idea of the episode i just want to talk about dragon lance now um, <laughs> i didn't know that this was a possibility i didn't realize i, I wasn't told all right since since we've opened the can here yeah might as well so they're getting ready to do or they've yeah. actually started doing some dragon lance stuff based on the latest campaign book that came yeah, out yeah we're running oh, nice, uh, yeah. the shadow of the dragon queen yeah yeah nice. Nice. Oh, how and, is it uh, oh. I love it. It's my favorite out of like the published 5e stuff. It's my favorite so far. I think they really? finally like really threaded the needle on this one. Yeah, right. In terms of a lot of things, adventure hook, character involvement, story, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Our uh, Dragonlance yeah. publication won't be anything crazy. It's yeah. not going to be anything giant. It is three subclasses that we originally wrote to go on our subclasses of the multiverse book that we had to pull because obviously we couldn't put Dragonlance material out on Kickstarter. 
Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> so we're like, Dragonlance is coming. So our plan is to try to release about the time the next book comes out. Like an Oath yeah, of the Bright Blade for the Paladin. That's awesome. Yeah. Oath yeah, of the Bright Blade Paladin, Way of the Three Moons Monk, and Path of the Three Eyes Barbarian. We actually cool. had the pleasure of doing some freelance work on a Dragonlance publication that came out at the same time as the as the Watsi product last year. We did one of the two adventures. First tier adventures. The, the Dragonlance yeah. Companion by Splinterverse Media, yeah. Yep, there you I go. have seen a lot of th- third-party stuff coming out right now, and it's exciting. In addition to the fact we're on it, I highly recommend that there's some really good material there. Some of the items, some of the spells, a lot of the flavor is really strong. Uh, our Tier 1 adventure, I thought, was was really good. And again, a little patting my, ourselves on the back on that, but it was just fun. Like I literally wrote the kind of adventure that I wanted to play in. When we started putting together some of those encounters, I'm like, this is good going to be a fun adventure to play like i want to be in this situation i want to have characters in this situation and i think on some level if you're in the content creation business and you're not writing something that you feel that way about you probably need to hand that job off to somebody else because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you are not so inspired to want to play it then there's probably a problem with what you're writing so i would right. hope that most people feel that about their work i know i was really excited about this project the npcs the characters and just thinking about the way different characters could interact and characters i played in the past what would they do in this situation learned a whole lot too as our first full adventure it was also our first collaboration with a full-on publisher because Jimmy's yeah. been in the publication business for a long time, and now he's doing his mm-hmm. own thing. And we learned a lot about organizing our process yeah. <laughs> as we worked with Jimmy as well. That's awesome. It's a very rich world of lore there to work with, too, which helps yes. to be able to create on top of it. You don't have to start yeah. from scratch. You can really start to yeah. shine things up there. And on the heels of the Dragons of Destiny, when that had come out last summer, which I immediately bought, was listening to on audiobook while we were working on this, it really informed the process. Like, I just felt... Kryn. I felt Ancelon. I felt yeah. when we were writing about the elements in our adventure when you are in Solus, it was around the time I was through the chapters where the characters were in Solus and you had all the heroes of the lands that were back in Solus and going and going through that process in the book. No spoilers. I felt I was there again and that and I loved that feeling about it. So yeah, I had gone back and read through uh, Autumn Twilight and Spring Dawning just to get in the headspace again, the yeah. idea of it. I did exactly the same thing. Like after after reading Dragons of Destiny, I went back and I read like that original the seasons quadrology to go ahead and get Chronicle. It. Yeah, it was, uh, and they were just as good as I remember too. That was the coolest thing that about those books is that particularly Autumn's Twilight was just as good as I re- like as I remember it. And I was really worried because like, sometimes that happens. Media when you're like in your teens, right? And then you watch it again in like your 30s and you're like, oh my God. Like, like, I, I always keep thinking about the movie Slapstick, which might be too old for all of y'all. Maybe not you, Chris, but like the movie Slapstick was this old like hockey movie from the early 80s. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. You, you know what right? Yeah, I remember it being awesome. And I watched it I don't know, not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago or so. And it was like, this is crap. Why am I watching this? So (laughs) I had the same feeling about men at work. There were a few. There were a few. I still can watch the Arnold ones though. The Arnold ones I can still watch. They're a little campy, but I can still watch them. Commando. Just watch the director's cut. (laughs) If you need the director's cut of Commando, there is. 
and it actually adds more to the story. I felt like yeah. I was more involved there, like when he's dropping Sully off the cliff there. I thought that really hurt. So. Uh, Tony, I did not hear you besmirch the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings cartoon. Oh, you sure did. Oh, <laughs> I, that This cannot abide. Like, that's, wait a minute. Oh, I own the, own the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings cartoon. That is, that's a classic. That was like sacrilege really on this channel. watching you know, that one that the animation and the amount of times that it's somebody running around in like the costume with a little bit of stuff on versus the actual animated parts is pretty yeah. remarkable. But I love Gandalf in that one. I think yeah. he has the right level of enigmatic mystery. Like Ian McClellan yeah. was awesome, but Gandalf yeah. in that was like, it was a little bit scary to Frodo there, which I thought sure. was right. Sorry. Yeah. It was a bit of a tangent. So. Not at all. That's right. Not at all. That's right. I like that tangent. I like that tangent because you only saw that Gandalf when he's talking to Bilbo yeah. about the ring mm-hmm. and his house in the movie. Yeah. You didn't get that darkness from him, and I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's serious with it. No, I actually picked up the Free League. They just released the Lord of the Rings. Never started doing that. Uh, the <laughs> hardest thing that I remember going back to watch that I absolutely loved as a kid was the Six Million Dollar Man. Like, I, I love that show, and I would probably still buy it simply out of my love and respect for Lee Majors and the fact that I wish to God I still had my action figure so I could look behind his head and see through the eye and the whole bit. Oh, yeah. But I can tell you what, I when I went back to watch that show, I was like, this is terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I don't even know how this got half a season, let alone the amount of seasons it got, other than it was a product of its time. It that really was. was. The 70s like, and 80s, that like, was very no, particular. No, yeah, no show had backstory. I always thought that there was some great backstory to it, and if I ever got to go see the first episode, I would be thoroughly amazed. And what I realized is what the only backstory to that show is the actual opening, where they yes. join crashing. That's the <laughs> whole backstory yep. for the whole show. Oh, God, yes. Dude got broke, dude got rebuilt. Boop, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I've been watching it a million times, right? It's so awesome. Yeah. He's running fast. Next thing you know, he's stuck in quicksand and fighting a Sasquatch. That's all I know. And I'm like, wow. 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 <laughs> it's funny how sometimes the world is like the smallest place on ever, right? Because there was somebody earlier on, it was on Facebook or Instagram or something, had posted the opening scene to the series, The Incredible Hulk. And mm. it basically begins with Lou Ferrigno hitchhiking. There's no backstory to what happened to the character in The Incredible That's Hulk. That's not Lou Ferrigno hitchhiking. No, no, you're right. That's Bill Bixby, the David Banner actor. The Hulk does not hitchhike. The Hulk picks up your car and throws it. I knew I was. I knew it was a Lou Frigno. As soon as I said Lou Frigno, I was like, "Wait, that's wrong. That's not." Well, again, hey, he's yeah. one of the Very directors that play that character. Very much a product of its time too, because he yeah. was David Banner in that one, not Bruce yeah. Banner. Yeah. Because in the seventies, they considered Bruce to be more of a homosexual name, so they didn't want that to be the lead character. So they turned it to yeah. David Bruce Banner. Yeah, oh, and Marvel oh, followed. Yeah, and Marvel followed suit by actually making that his his official full name because the show was so popular marvel actually did that in the comics at some point that it was that it was bruce david banner and to keep some kind of continuity with it shared world action all right so unusually about 20 minutes into our episode tonight with guests we're going to give you guys the chance to go ahead and introduce your show to our listeners after a long diversion there what is three wise dms and uh, i don't know what's the nature of your show it's a Podcasts and articles about helping DMs run their games better. I think Thorin, our friend, 
he had that vision for it that it was it's difficult sometimes to run games it's a difficult system it's difficult to get people together to stay fresh with things to find places to go and it's a way for us to be able to use some of the knowledge we've gained over the years to help the people that are willing to get up in front and be dungeon masters right everyone's a player but only some of us are dungeon masters so i think we try to be a champion for them a little bit yeah, in the end, it's it, we started it out as it's like Chris was saying, it's for DMs with problems. When you are running the game, you're going to run into things that every DM runs into. And that's what we started it with. It was Lauren talking to Tony and I about we started to have conversations about games we were running. And we said, this is a podcast. This is stuff people might want to actually hear. Who knows? Uh, it turns out they did at least a little bit. But yeah, it's just we sit around and talk about the problems we have while we're running the game. And we have found from listener questions that it's all the same questions in the end. You know, kind of like what you guys are doing here, right? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely approach our storyteller-centric episodes with the same mentality, right? Where right. we try to lean on the experience because y'all have been playing for as long as we have. We, we One of the things we say all the time is that we've been storytelling and gaming for over 100 years between the three of us. And I know y'all have been at it for about the same amount of time. And so it's like... We're trying to share the stories of the things that have happened to us because it's all shared experience. And there, you're right. We keep one of the things we've been batting around for a while is like doing a why is there a storyteller shortage kind of episode or how to go ahead and how to encourage other people to go ahead and step behind the screen to go ahead and run games. Like what's the what's the thought process behind doing that and everything like that? Or even talking about GameCraft, how does one storytell better and that kind of thing? Yeah. I don't know if we let everybody know this episode is being is going to be on both of our channels. The regular listeners of Three Wise DMs will get a chance to listen to this episode in its entirety, as the Tabletop Journeys will listen, listeners will get to listen to this episode. With yeah. the idea being, we're a complimentary podcast, and hopefully those audiences can change up and get some of the goodies from both shows moving forward. But one of the things that we've really prided ourselves on here at Tabletop Journeys is really breaking it down element by element. So we'll have episodes where it's about how do you build an encounter or how to more specifically, how do the three of us build an encounter? What are the elements we put into encounter building? What are the elements we put into using features such as Sidekicks, a, a more recent one? And we do a lot of those types of episodes. We, we do book reviews. We do other things as well. But the core of what we're really about is improving that storyteller and that player experience, that, and reducing that barrier to entry, as you said, Chris. It's an easy game for those of us who've been doing it for 30 years. When I go to a local shop, there are so many people who are in there who are great people. Great players, great storytellers, but they forget that there was a time when this wasn't easy for us. That first time we picked up polyhedral dice, we were amazed. We were jazzed. Like we saw the possibilities. Not till we colored them with the right crayon. You couldn't see them. The numbers until you colored Uh, them with the right crayon. Uh, But – Actually, the no one I got was used. Yeah, the, no, nobody remembers that, Glenn. I still have a light blue D20 colored with white crayon from the original box set. It's the only thing I have left. Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I, the one I got was a used set, so it was already colored. And I think somebody actually colored like the five green, if I remember correctly. It was weird. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that little piece of information. That's strange. It just hit me. But I just remember thinking that at the time, I love what this could do, but there's parts of it that was hard. There is elements that didn't make sense. There are things that I quote unquote did wrong. Yes, I was having fun, so I guess it couldn't have been that wrong. But 
there are people who had other things that they could be doing, but this broke kid who at the time was brand new in town and had one friend across the street didn't have anywhere else to go, so I toughed it out. But in the world of the internet today, where you got 80 billion cable channels, 4 jillion streaming channels, a movie that you can go drop half a C note on to go see, whatever, and all these other things you could be doing, the reason why I think there is a shortage is people don't have time for things that are difficult. They're just not going to take the time. If it's not readily available to them, it's not necessarily something they're going to put that time and effort in. So anything we collectively in the podcast community can do to lower that barrier to entry is only going to build this hobby up. Summed up in our tagline, let us help you make your next role legendary. Yeah. R-O-L-E, yeah. So- whether you're a storyteller or a player. <laughs> Yeah, people are, I think people get scared by it. I know my friend Lenny, we just got him. We had him on an episode here, and we I finally he got into it, and then I got him. To, he started to run a game himself, and listening to him talk about the things that he's going through and the stresses and wondering if he did it right. No, I think I blew that role last night. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. We were all laughing. We had a great time. And him starting exactly. to see that journey, but it's difficult. There's this aura of it's different than being a player it's a little bit harder so i think it's nice that we had there's a place that there's a community like us to, for people to go to that have those issues yeah. so let's get into the bulk of what we're looking to go ahead and talk to after what 25 minutes or whatever it's been but really and something that can help newbie storytellers if it's done correctly the whole reason why we called this episode come together was not just to go ahead and give david lee a chance to sing together it was shared a valid reason in and of itself yeah that's fair no totally it is <laughs> we're going to be talking about shared game worlds and the reason why we're talking about shared game worlds is turn the microphone over to our friends from through isdms here a little bit here again because y'all did an episode about this about a year and a half ago talking about campaigns that the three of you were running that were all kind of taking place in the same game world or at least under the same umbrellas to set the table for our audience a little bit talk to us a little bit about what y'all were doing and how did it work and then we'll kind of get into the conversation as a whole because there's a lot of parallels between what you guys were doing with that and what we're doing with our content creation side well at the time we were running forgotten realms chris was using the jungles of cholt adventure for the tomb of annihilation i was doing storms king's thunder and dave was running rhyme of the frost maiden so we all had parts in that world we all had kingdoms that were running independently of each other Later, we created our own world called the Further, where we had one collective kingdom where we had our own towns that were all working in together. And like Chris and I were building like a town like Black Click collectively. That was our, both of our projects there. We're fleshing out the flavor and details of it. So I'm going to say that was like the high overview of it. So <laughs> Tony had original. <laughs> Tony had originally started running. He ran an adventure for one of our groups in Storm King's Thunder which was super cool. We've talked about it on the show a ton. And he had some, as we've talked about on the show, he started to break it apart. He put in different people, different NPCs, yada, yada. I then start running Ravenloft. I start running the Curse of Strahd campaign. And during that time, I started to play with the idea of, I would really love the idea that the group we had in Storm Kings exists with the group that's happening in Curse of Strahd. That's where we started with when we were talking on that episode about how does this work and what do you allow and how do you leave enough room for the other DM to have some wiggle room and stuff. And now we've taken it even further because, as Tony said, Chris had started to run Tomb of Annihilation and stuff. And we were like, maybe that's in this world. And at this point now, we've pretty much just started from the ground up and created our entire world which we're calling the further 
and we're starting from the ground up that it's uh, we took an idea almost like a West Marches style mm. where the further is this open ended thing. It can be whatever it needs to be. And these kingdoms and lands that we all develop that run by our rules exist on the outskirts of this gigantic unknown untraversed wilderness type of thing and Hmm. so we've started to play into this like all of us are playing in that same world which harkens back to the earliest days of dnd because i always said like all of these are happening in the same world or and then they started to break it out into the multiverse and i mean you see that with the mcu and stuff you can just keep tacking on and then it's almost like an improv thing because it's a yes and because tony does something and i can't just ignore it i gotta do something now and chris says something now i have to figure that out and that it's fun and you guys had started talking about that on some of your episodes and i was jazzed to yeah. to delve into that because that's some high level stuff not just for newbie deals that's for experienced people out sure. there too. take it back yeah. even a little bit further like it was over if we keep using the word further here just all plugs <laughs> for our homebrew world but um, it was back like in in marvel comics and all the comics there were always like crossovers and stuff so we were playing face rip the face rip system, right? The original Marvel role playing system there. And great system started to happen is we had a campaign going and it was like, what if there was another group that was in this world? Right. And it didn't have to be anything crazy. Like it's not like I'm building a world here, but then I start to have other people that are there that can actually interact. Like we keep at, we have these campaigns like Ravenloft, like my Sir Scar doesn't meet the guy from this other campaign or hear about him. There's a, we're sharing it, but it's not shared. And with this, we were able to, like with that and the Marvel idea, you take that and people can mix and match. And then with the further, you can take it. And then we start the idea is that we can take some of the published adventures and they don't necessarily need to exist. We can have them exist in the same space. It can get a little bit crazy because you can't necessarily share everything. Not everything goes together well, and you can find yourself just forcing it just because it has to be inside of your world. But yeah. It's just so much more depth because then I can actually be talking about the history of a character who is actually a character in a campaign versus that. Like we're playing the Dragonlance, the parking back earlier. What makes it so powerful is you're talking about this history of this world over these hundreds of years. And there's all these things you can call back to this history. With the shared world, you get even more of a deeper connection to it because it's actually you were the Bright Blades back in the day in your homebrew world. And now you're playing a... And now you're playing it in the second age and you can call back to those things with different yeah. campaigns. Chris just wrote an article. You could probably find it on our website, threewisedms.com. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boom, there it is. But no, he wrote one, Ballad for the Bartender, all about how to make like three easy steps to make your NPCs much more interactive, much more immersive, much more real. Like it's something we're always trying to do, make our worlds feel real. One of the easiest ways to make them feel real is this character that's gone from level one to 20, let's say, or whatever, exists. You already know their history. And if you meet them, Sir Scar, let's say, it's if I want to introduce Gandalf, right? Or in, we were just talking about Dragonlance in the start of the episode. If I wanted somebody to meet Raceland Majir, I'm going to know exactly 
what how Raceland is going to be. I don't have to like, oh, geez, let me make some notes on my session prep to see like, how do I make this guy more immersive? He's already super immersive. So it's taking that, but in a world sense, not just with your people. I really like what you're talking about where you're taking like one game world and you're adding elements from Ravenloft and you're adding elements from Tomb of Annihilation and you're adding all these kind of various elements and putting them into the same world. It's not unlike what we started to do with our D&D actual play a while ago where we started just doing a run through of the Candlekeep mysteries because we loved that book and we wanted to go ahead and start running through it. And then as the game started and as the game kind of progressed, like games often do, it became something else. And so it went from Candlekeep and then went into the Wild Beyond the Witchlight when that book came out. But even still, the missions in Wild Beyond the Witchlight were the scaffolding that held up the game, but there was all this other plot stuff that was happening around it. So like you could look at the missions and see, oh yeah, no, this is mission three from Wild Beyond the Witchlight, but the story was totally different. It was really like the mechanics and the structure was there, but it was something different. Yeah, just as a really quick aside, Candlekeep is super awesome. So Chris and I are actually brothers. He's my older brother, which we talked about. But my mom was always asking us, like, what is this? You're always playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so I ran her and Chris and my girlfriend, Bonnie, and our older Matt through the first adventure, The Joy of Extra Dimensional Spaces. So I ran my mom through that one. So it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's Just awesome. as a little, when you said Candlekeep, I went, what oh, you think? Damn. She liked it. It was so new to her, though, but it was so funny to see. She was like a born role player. Like she got into the character. Like she even named her character like her grandmother's name and had a whole like kind of a backstory as a healer and stuff like it it was. It was super cool to see the little aha moments people have when they're rolling funny dice. My dad, just since we're on parents really quick, my dad introduced me to D&D. He was my first DM, so I called myself a second generation player. He came home from Westpac because they started playing it on the submarine with some guys and brought home the red box set and ran us through that. And then the next thing you know, he's playing all the time. But then later, fast forward 40, well, 30 years or so, he'd gotten out of it for a while. And as I got back into it, he's sitting at my table playing beside Liwanika and that was yeah. fantastic and watching him sit it, as the player amazing special because I That's remember awesome. when we were in scouts, he was our scoutmaster for a number of years. And I remember him running at one time and playing and whatnot. And we could get in trouble for staying up late, but generally not if we were playing D&D, kind of like little crazy stories like that. And But sitting next to him while he's playing a dwarven fighter who's all about the fight and just getting into it. And, and I'm, like, I'm sitting next to Senior and I'm like, this is amazing. Like it's it such a, a an awesome moment. No one will ever take that away from me. It was that good. <laughs> he even brought like in in game table shenanigans to the table, which I didn't expect. Like I bought these pirate doubloon things to pass out for inspiration, and when people weren't looking, he'd steal. He'd take them. <laughs> if you weren't paying attention, Dad would just take them. He was just like whoop. Nice. Nice. It's awesome. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, and this is something that you mentioned in your episode specifically, was how you reconcile mechanics that may exist for one player, but not for another. And Mm. forgive me that I don't remember the specifics, but you were talking, I think, Chris, you had a boon system in your game, right? Where... Maybe been Dave, maybe been somebody else, but there was like a boon system that, like, if you perform certain tasks, that you could gain these kind of supernatural boons from from some from like a deity or something like that. And it was a question of like, okay, oh, it was you, Tony. Okay, so yeah. so it's the magic of I want to give these players these things in my world or in my game rather than saying world, but 
it's also got to acknowledge that they may not exist in Chris's game or in Dave's game. And so I guess I kind of want to get it. I want an update on that. Like, how did that wind up? How did that wind up reconciling and how did that wind up working? Hard. It was sometimes. It was sometimes hard because Tony's going to go into it about he is a very generous DM yeah. and he likes to make cool things. And that's cool within the game. But when you take it out of that game, it can get janky. Yeah, I only throw out like things like boons like that where they were meaningful and could be impactful and throw off power curves when you're already pretty high level. I wouldn't do that at level four, level five, level seven, but like you guys are deep into their careers and I'm looking fishing around for fun things to give someone who's level 14, 15, 16, then you know what? I'll toss them a boon and then I'll leave it back to the DM. If that really is going to be an issue within their game, that's up to them. But when they're in my game, it's dancing. Yeah, 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 I was saying I was I was being somewhat funny because I like to rib Tony on that, just like he likes <laughs> to rib me on not giving enough magic items out. But yeah. for instance, in the Curse of Strahd game, my girlfriend's character, Bonnie's character, little one, she was a gnome artificer, played it wonderfully, but she was a just a chaos engine. We've talked <laughs> about this on the cast many times. She was just a chaos. She loves just crazy stuff to happen, right? So at one point. It happened that I gifted her the Wand of Wonder, which is exactly what you give to that player because they love that, right? (laughs) She specifically loved the kind of stuff like you turn into a potted plant for two rounds or something, right? Like that as well as I I light fireball up in the middle of the room, whatever it might be. I agree. Uh, But Tony was like, this isn't really helping us tactically at all. So he tried, he updated, we did an article on it, updated the Wand of Wonder. He did a hundred different things there that it could do. And I looked at it. They were high level at this point, though. So while it was definitely more powerful than the original, I was like, let's run with it because we're talking about world ending events, right? They're going after, this is already after Strahd's dead. They're going after when I started to homebrew and they're going after Vampyr, his maker, the star of blood and eldritch horror. Like these are big things. I'm about to drop a CR 30-ish thing on them, (laughs) like level 17. So yeah, you can jazz up the wand. So we played with it. But like he was saying, he doesn't drop that out at like level four. Yeah. Bonnie, she dropped a 97, which I think is a drops a pit fiend into the middle of combat. Who's like a lawyer. He charges. Yes. $500 $500 yes, around. It's 500 gold per turn, but he's a lawyer. He's and he, You do it, but then he works like a pit fiend for you. For yeah, as long as you pay him. And she busted it up twice. But I mean, it's it can be definitely be game-breaking like that. Like I think in the, the first Facebook campaign, I really ran for them. I ran the cosmic version of it, which is much more, it was built for Thor and a lot of these other characters. So I had them roll up these really high-level characters. And pretty soon they are just blowing through everything right so i think there is a bit of you have to find it and you have to break it to find your limits to where you can make it fun and think like a lot of tony stuff he does it adds to the enjoyment of the game there sometimes you can break the game but sometimes you can break the game back a little bit to the players there as much it's not too bad yeah chris that's a good point because like you guys talk about a lot on your cast the different systems are going to you you're going to approach if you share campaigns if you share games with other dms that will change depending on the system a little bit, right? Definitely. When I my first experience in this avenue was with a friend of the show and Patreon Marty. He was that 
one friend I had who lived across the street from me kind of thing. And he DM'd for me for a while. And then he's, I want to play. And honestly, it was the two of us. So I was like, I guess I'm DMing. And, and our idea was we were just going to play in the same world. So we did that very rudimentary. Basically what we were doing was grabbing modules, running modules with homebrew stuff in between modules. So like we Mm. plotted out where the modules were on the Greyhawk map. And if there was a module that we got the hottest module, we had to homebrew adventure to get across to it. And then, so we do that or whatever we travel. So, you know, I had one main character, he had one main character and we had a bunch of supporting characters that were built as main characters. I rolled a couple, many of them, he rolled a couple of them. And then we would each run them depending on who was playing and who was DMing. Right. Basically it was one DM and a party being run by the other player. And so this is how we did it for years, like probably two or three years. That was my D&D experience but until I started wow. finding other groups other than playing at Scouts with Glenn and that. Fast forward to college years, and I've got a friend who had already been doing multi-generational campaigns. So the player that played an elf in his first campaign, and they played up to about level 10 before that campaign ended, that was the only player who was a level 10 character the second campaign because an elf was still alive. Everybody else who came into something else started at level one. And that's how we played. And then when that yeah. generation ended, if that elf survived or whatever, or they might have gone off to do some other thing. But we played those generations. And if you're playing a human, you just played your kids. Or maybe you just said, I don't want to play the family anymore and I'll play somebody else. And somebody else played your old family or whatever. Here we are. 30 years after that, because that was when I was in college, so we're talking 94, 96, the live stream that Glenn and I are in is that same game world. Like, I'm right. actually playing a character who is related, but mystically, to that character I played in 1994. When That's I rolled awesome. into a brand new town, walked into a oh. shop. The worlds are kind of said, merging. Is the way yeah, that's going. Spiro is not the original world, but the old world of Alanis is merging into Spiro. Yeah. And then there's and a there's second a live stream that's there. But that's stuff. how we did it. And it was like really, in my mind, the formation of, okay, so DMs can kind of work together on this. And that was one DM who did all those generations. But while he was doing that, he had other DMs or other players who wanted to be DMs do spinoff campaigns. So I got to do a number of those spinoff campaigns. So same campaign world. It was in a specific time. Sometimes I had some of the other players or sometimes it was players from totally separate groups that would come in and play characters. So we might have a campaign that went for six months or a year or a little bit more. And then I would just let the main DM know what had happened. And that all fed into the story and built up organizations, built up towns within this, within this whole world. And that was my second experience with that. Glenn, I'll let you go because the, my third experience and one of the most gratifying ones was the Palladium game that Glenn ran, and he was kind enough to let me run a couple spinoffs in as well. Yeah, we definitely did some collaboration there. They totally get y'all's dynamic. We run into that too. Lee Winika is a very low magic player for his worlds. He does not like a lot of magic items. They come about it more often when you get into higher, the higher tiers, and I'm not free with them. But I do math and I'm like, okay, I've got six players. Everybody should have X number of magic items by the time they finish tier two, roughly. So I've got to find ways to start inserting these things. And I go a little bit. Okay. But it could definitely. What's that, Josh? I am. I'm very free with them. I'm like, yeah, and like Josh is very free. I'm right in the middle of the everywhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For in game reasons, but that's, yeah. Always gives Benito credit for the massive continuing world thing, but I always redirect it back at him. 
because he always goes to Benito for it. But Lewanika ran the generational game from that Greyhawk world all the way until we were in our 30s or so when he started playing in Ben's campaign. My character, the first priest I ever played and loved, Anorak Hammerfist, later was an NPC running a sect. And he's calling me, or text, wasn't text back then, calling me, so it was calling me, because... I'm sorry, we're old. There was no text. He's calling me <laughs> saying, okay, for the group I've got going, they're going to meet Anric. And I had a ward who was like my son, and he's in the game. And he's like, so what would you do? And he's still getting information from old players to try to help flesh that out. So Lee Wanika did an amazing job with that on his own. And I, awesome. I got to make sure he toots his own horn sometimes, too. I will say this. We have not heard the last of Anric Hammerfest. Glenn threw out some future project stuff there. But uh, Anric Hammerfest will be seen again sometime in the in the next year or so in the next year definitely there there are plans for that character and even i one of the home games that i'm running now is based on that old greyhawk world and and a lot of those old legacy characters are coming back they're in big positions they are the stories of legend from a couple generations many generations ago kind of thing there's towns that are named after them that type of thing but they are very much a fixture in my game so enric is due to make his return very soon it is funny because we are very similar we all we have extremes and then somebody rides the middle between the three of us generally speaking there's something though like a lot of times we talk about it in terms of players like around the table when we're giving kind of advice for players and stuff especially for story beats, making sure you're getting enough spotlight, those types of things, so nobody's left behind. But I think in a shared world like this, or a shared multiverse, whatever you're doing, we always say, trust your DM. And we usually say that in terms of the players, trust your DM to bring you along, that that they have your best interests at heart. There, Mike Shea from Sly Flourish will say, be a fan of your players, right? You're, right. you're watching this happen, the movie, right? And you're like, yeah, let's do this. So trust your DM to have that idea, even if it's not right now, it'll happen. And in the same way, if you're sharing it with other DMs, trust that there is that that give and take. Trust that they're not going to completely implode what you're doing with your side of the world. Yeah. And when we were talking ahead of the show here, I was saying that that episode was really interesting to listen to for me because what I found was a lot of commonality between what you guys were talking about on that episode, but also what our process was maybe less so on some of our earlier books when we were just starting out, but a lot on this last book, the book that we just did on Kickstarter last fall, talking about how we were going to hammer out the some of the mechanical things and a lot of the adventure stuff, like how we were going to go ahead and weave these together so that we felt that the book had an interior cohesion to it, right. So that the book made sense. It was ostensibly a book of subclasses that as, you know, as the stretch goals and everything were hit, more content kept getting added in. And then there's this, this like monstrous adventure chapter. It was less like in-game concern, but there was a lot of out-of-game concern where it's like all of us were writing adventures, but we did not necessarily include the same elements in every adventure. And we didn't necessarily have the same type of stuff or the same depth of story in each one. So a lot of it was like, all right, the three of us are going to go back and write and then we're going to throw it all into a pile and basically throw it at Glenn's feet and say, okay, Glenn, make sense of this pile of crap that we just threw at you, please. What wound up coming out was six. fabulous, but it took a lot of conversations to kind of get yeah. there. Like, okay, what did you actually mean when you wrote this sentence Lewanika? what did you actually mean what was it you wanted when you wrote this yeah that was was a lot of conversations and a lot of work to take six to eight story hooks they weren't even story hooks they were like 
six pages each. Yeah. What, what did it we call them? Story starters? Adventure starters. starters. Yeah. It was like, like the first were, seven counts. created a translation of yeah. each other. They were all independently chaos grown and then try to make them have some kind of a cohesive element to be in the same publication. That was a hoot. Yeah, what yeah. we learned from that is this time with this book, we created a template together right up front. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's interestingly kind of enough, from your mistakes, Dave. <laughs> in the lead up to us recording tonight, you and I had a lot of emails back and forth where we we're putting together our song or whatever, and I made the <laughs> comment to you just this morning or just this afternoon that. I love the process of arranging music. To me, that's exciting. When when I, I tossed the idea of doing the Beatles come together because Paul McCartney, duh. But <laughs> aside from that awesome piece of, of, of musical history. And very uh, thematically appropriate. And thematically appropriate. And it's, it's on the nose, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, when I tossed that idea at you and then you were like, okay, we could do a verse or whatever, figure out how we do it. And then I threw some arrangement ideas. You threw some arrangement ideas back. And I loved that back and forth, that, that collaboration, that cohesive element. And that's a bit of a microcosm of what we're talking about. If you're a player or a DM and you're working with another player, DM or storyteller, that's the magic sauce. If you're fortunate enough to have set, to come together and say, Hey, let's start from scratch. Let's build a world together. I'm going to run some games. You're going to run some games. That's the easiest way. That is absolutely the easiest way, but it's not the only way. If you have been playing and they have been playing and running games and the idea is how do you bring them together? You can also do that, but the conversations are all about. Uh, fair enough. Don't worry, our the chat line is going crazy. Yeah, the chat. Yes, so, so it was written by it was written by John <laughs> Lennon. Yes, but in my opinion, that's a Paul McCartney thing because I saw him in 1990 on his world tour for his Fourth of July show at Giant Stadium, and as far as I'm concerned. That's Paul McCartney. That's the, the my story mind. is that Lennon brought it. It's actually, he took it from a Chuck Berry song. There's a song, yeah. You Can't Catch Me, where he, here comes old flat top, he comes grooving her slowly. Lennon yeah. brought it at an up-tempo speed, and Paul McCartney said, yo, that sounds just like the Chuck Berry song. You should slow that down. And they slowed it down, and that's how it turned out to this. So it was yeah. written by Lennon, but McCartney gave him the, apparently, or mythically gave him the idea to slow it down Exactly, but that works exactly what we're talking about, because... The same thing you do for characters, right? The characters at your table when you're running it is the same thing you would do with a DM where you're sharing it, where you open up enough of the room for the mystery of the story to tell you what it is. Not for you yeah. to tell the story, but for the story to happen organically at the table. So slight topic change from our music history lesson, which was fabulous. <laughs> But I kind of have a question for all of you, because this is something that I've been toying with and preparing to do with someone in one of my groups. And it touches on all the things we've been talking about, right down to the short storyteller shortage, because not everybody wants to take on the work, right? And, every, and a lot of people are intimidated by it. So I'm going to tell you what I'm about to try to do, and I want to know what you guys think or if any of you have ever tried it before. So basically, I have someone in one of my games who's interested in storytelling, but they're scared. And so what I'm trying to encourage them to do, we're having talks at the moment is, all right, I'm running the games right now. You and I can start talking about storytelling in the world a little bit without giving you too much information. And if you want to try it, then let's write an adventure together in the same world. I'll sit down at the table and play in it. You be the storyteller. I'll be there to back you up and develop them that way. I think that's going to help one, work on the collaborative world building and two, give them a better idea in a tutorial kind of sense for how to run the game. And I'm hoping that's going to be successful. Has anybody ever tried to develop a storyteller right out of your own game like that? 
I think we when I work with my friend Lenny, he we he didn't wasn't into it for years, and then one day texted me because of Stranger Things and said, "Oh, I'm really into D and D," and we started talking about it. And he wanted to DM something, and so we got him involved in our Tuesday night game and got him into seeing what it was actually evolved and then having him run his own game after that with the same group. It's not quite the same where it's the same world. I think in your case, you're providing a little bit of extra lift on the story side where you're saying you don't have to come up with all this. I'll give you a nice space and you work with it. Correct. But in the same sort of tutorial way, we do it all together. Everybody's at the table and then, okay, now you do it now. And it's a little bit less intimidating because the guys in the room are still the same three of us. It's just now you're running it. And so he, I think it makes it a little bit easier to get into it because you're not just coming in completely dry there. Like you have a shared interest. So when you're an inexperienced DM, it's nice to just allow them to focus on actually telling the story, working on their NPCs, doing their descriptions. And if they get tripped up on the rules, well, they've got a seasoned DM right there that's, hey, this is how it works. Yeah. No fuss, no muss. Yeah. Kind of like I, I a totally Joe in our Star Trek Adventures games. That's exactly that's what I was just going to say. Resource. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that the to answer the question about like how to proceed down that path, my first question would be, what is it that they're most nervous about? If they're nervous about the rules forget it. That's There are enough people with the books, with the dice at the table to go ahead and smooth over that. And if they're worried about the storytelling aspect of it, then that's one of those things that really just gets better with experience. I'm sure that you guys would feel the same way that I am not, I'm a much better storyteller now than I was when I was 15 or when I was 18 or when I was 21. The more that it happens, the better you get at it because you start realizing what your options are, right? That's the the biggest thing that I, if I, for new storytellers that I would say is you don't have to know what you're doing when the game starts. What you have to be aware of is what are your options? Where could you go? What can you do? We talked about this a little bit on our story construction episode a couple of weeks ago, but it's like, come up with three things that you know you want to do in that five hour span and make sure you hit those three things. But everything else that happens in between is absolute gravy and chaos and beautiful nonsense. And as long as you hit your three points, everything else is going to be fabulous. But don't get trapped in analysis paralysis, right? Don't think that you need to script everything that's going to happen for these next five hours because you God, will go I used to do that because you, oh, you will go okay. yeah. in order. You have, no, yeah. you have to go here next. Right. No, yeah. go back. No, that's, go. that's not playing a game. That's reading a story, no, right? yeah, which is a different fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're absolutely correct. And our Star Trek Preservations game and what we're doing with STA, the 2D20 system by Modifius, is a great example of that. This is a game that I wanted to be all in on last summer. I still needed to digest the rules, figure out how to play this game, how to run this game or whatever. We were working on our book at the time, so it would have been totally unfair for me to say, hey, Glenn, here's a new game I want to play. Learn the rules. Tell me how to play the game and then I'll run the game. <laughs> I usually just throw it at Glenn. Glenn learns the system and tells me the stuff I need to know because all I know is story. And I love Star Trek, so I know Star Trek. Like I have the story in my head. He's much better at mechanics than he used to be. He, that, yeah. that's, more of a, that's more of a dated statement than it actually yeah. is now. <laughs> but, but I'm like, no, I'm going to learn this one on my own. And fortunately, the system's easy enough for that it was possible. But there are a few little wonky challenges in there to get the system down. So I spent, while we were working on the book, some time learning the system, listening to other podcasts and going out there and figuring out how to do this thing. Along that way, found this great 
GM for the Star Trek Adventures game who was very excited when he found out we were going to be doing an actual play and more importantly that we were just going to be playing with our Patreons. He like joined our Patreon immediately. Wanted uh, to play he, instead of run. He just wanted to play. He's a forever <laughs> GM in Star Trek Adventures and just wanted the chance to be able to play. And I was, to be frank, fantastic. very nervous, right? I've been GMing for years, but this is a new game. And it's Star Trek. I have so much history with Star Trek. I was freaked out about not doing this IP justice. or not giving it just not giving it its justice. Right. And one of the things through my conversations, Joe Harney is his name. One of my thing. One of the things with him is I felt very secure that I didn't have to worry about the rules. So oh, thanks, Joe, for all of your help. Yeah, absolutely. I felt secure. Also, in a number of conversations with many of the freelance writers for the game, like we, Michael Desmuke, who was on our show, Al Spader, who's been on our show, conversations with Jim Johnson, who's the line editor for Modifius. Um, the Star Trek Adventures fan community is amazing. That's they really are open. so welcoming and wonderful. If you have questions, go on one of their Facebook groups, any of them ask a question and within a day you've got like a bunch of answers and almost all of them are positive and helpful. Right. So once I realized that was the environment I was going to be working with, it made all the difference. I knew the story I was going to run, how I was going to adapt the printed material. And it was just, when I hit a rule snag, Joe's like, Hey, do you need help with this? And yeah, step in. And he did. And that's what Glenn you're talking about is basically Joe's your example for that, at least as far as STA goes. And if we as storytellers are doing that for other players who are interested, but have little pain points that they're worried about can step in to help that we can grow the number of GMs in this, in this hobby by leaps and bounds. There's six of us here. How many players could we touch in this way just if we each did one game? That's another six GMs. We've doubled the number of GMs in the hobby with a couple of games. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to, to – Josh's question is a great one because you always want to – you always want to foster that and manifest that. It's one of the reasons I love Matt Colville's running the game series because, <laughs> no, just do it. It's not hard. Do it. Please, God, yeah. do it. Yeah. But – even not for new people, I would think the same thing. Tony, he and I did the same thing in the Curse of Strahd campaign where we were bringing in my bard, Roderick Drogel, who had this whole huge overarching backstory in the Storm Kings game, bringing him over into the Strahd game because I needed them to find this ritual in Amber, which was a way that they were going to be able to defeat Vampyr, the Star of Blood. Strahd's maker. It was this whole second half of the adventure. So I said, Tone, do you want to run this session? Like, you, here's a session. Here's what I want. Like, they need to find this. Let me know how that happens. And then I played in the game. And he's also going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be doing the summer blockbuster coming up where it's the ultimate final end point of that kind of group, that team, where we'll finally hopefully tie up uh, the one character's story that I wasn't able to, who happens to be my girlfriend's mom. I really need to do that. I think that's just a that. But the same thing I said, my friend, handle that business. Yeah, I said, I got to handle it. So I said to Tony, yeah, here's the idea. And then run with that within the world that we built. So I think in the same way for a new player, 
And I'm sorry, that was to Glenn, not Josh. I apologize. Glenn, yes. No worries. Oh, same no, thing. You, you same say, thing. Flattery though. will get you everywhere, Dave. Like how great my Whether it's was? new or experienced player, same thing. If they want to do it, run one game. Just jump in, run it, and then see where it goes from yeah, there. Let's talk yeah. about it after. See how you did. And yeah, Josh will steal credit from anybody. He doesn't care. He's, he's not proud or particular. But yeah. Way more particular than I was when I was 20. (laughs) On that front, because we all do it. We've all done the collaboration thing. So I thought it might be cool if we talked about some of the tools that we use to help keep each other on the same page. Because with technology that we've got now, there's so many options out there. So once you're both running the same story, how do you keep it straight? What do you use to help communicate with each other? That's everybody. Yeah, and if I can, for the Three Wives DMs, if one of the three of you could tackle the topic of your monster wranglers, because I love that idea, and I have not yet had the opportunity to really implement that in my games. I've done something similar to that when I did live action Vampire the Masquerade, when we had narrators, I was a storyteller. But uh, at the tabletop, I'm really interested into how that works. So I'd love if you can add that to uh, what you guys bring to the table on this one. That's it. That one's Dave. Like we use Google Docs a lot, obviously. Me and Google Toby. Docs. Yeah. For the further, it started as an outline, like a conversations and then an outline, and then the outline would grow, right? You have sections, and then someone would come in and paste in the section. Tony would run a section at his campaign and come in and paste in some history there. And I'd kind of come in later, and then I'd be running my campaign, and I could use some of that stuff, or I could add my own stuff to it. And slowly, like, I think the spiral campaign, especially for this stuff, works really good because it lets everything, you can always, someone can always pick up the thread and run with it, right? It's not, like, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like, it's just leading somewhere. Yeah, I think we're all big fans of Google Docs. If it got to be something that was, like, super serious, I've oftentimes wondered, like, World Anvil does, those types of wiki-type pages with hyperlinks and stuff, like, That could be pretty cool, but that would have to be like if we took the further to a point where it became like something. We've just started on that in that way. But for the most part, Google Docs or I have literally just texted Tony and been like, "Okay, these characters, what am I looking at? But generally Google Docs, though, (laughs) that's our thing. One of my favorite mods of all time was Dungeons of Greyhawk, which had 13 levels. And you don't want your mod to look like that unless that was intentional. My 13 different writers had a different part of it like that. You got to all communicate and make it gel. Yeah, like I run, I have a World Info database for kind of like my own homebrew campaign, but I would recognize that it is, it is a bigger pain in the butt to go ahead and keep updated than it seems. And it's also like, I can't, I would not begin to pretend that it made sense to anybody else. I remember after running the very first game, when I launched this campaign, the very first game, I, I went back and I, I used to listen to the sessions after I was done to go ahead and take notes. And I had five pages of entries that needed to be put into World Anvil just after the first game session. And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to get arduous. <laughs> this Unless is you've got a lot of time on your hands. Yeah, World yeah, Anvil is yeah, yeah. more of a, you put the effort into building that to create yeah. your community on World Anvil yeah. so your fans can come there again. to look at your lore. <laughs> and then they stuff. update it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Google Docs is a big one that we use too. But I've been thinking about talking to the boys about breaking into some other stuff sometimes for individual yeah. projects, like Scrivener. Uh, or, yeah, yeah. I, it's there. There are Google like Google Docs is great. Uh, and like the so much of our stuff lives up on our Google Cloud anyway. And there are better tools that may help us be more organized. And I'm, at some point, we may need to look into. I've that. been exploring yeah. some. 
We use Asana to help but keep the podcasting schedule straight, and there's oh, probably God, ways that we could bring Asana <laughs> into the communication too for projects. But yeah. a lot of my creation is all in bulleted lists. I don't know what it is, but I love the bulleted list. Yeah. Okay. So you're like Lee too. So I'm Tony. Lee Winika is Chris. Yeah. Part of that is my ADHD mind. Like I, in my head, it is a struggle for me to. I love prose. I love reading and that. But if I am looking at a document to gather information to do a thing with, I need that to be bullet pointed so I can then do my thing. Like if this is all written in prose, it becomes very hard for me to take prose and transfer that to whatever the task may be. So, but bullet points of here's the town, here's the names, here's three big things that happened since the last time your player group got there. I need that in bullet points. They can be a sentence. They might don't have to be in a sentence or what have you, but they need to be there. You, you, the last time your characters are there, they beat up an old guy in the street, so they're actually wanted for questioning. So I need that to be in a bullet points. If you bury that in text somewhere, I'm going to forget that they were wanted for questioning. They're going to chill out, share some donuts with the local constabulary, and walk around like their bosses. As that opposed like to my having one to Marvel out, character. You know? <laughs> it, those are the kinds of things that for me are helpful. So one of the things, and it works for storytellers and their players, you have to know your players. So if you're going to build a collaborative world with another storyteller, you also have to know what works for them. You have to know their style. You don't necessarily have to fill out some fancy sociological test or whatever and know if they're type A, AA, or A plus, or whatever the latest, greatest thought is. But you genuinely and generally need to have an idea of how they work and what works for them. And then you as an individual, even if that's not your particular style, have to work pretty hard in some cases if they are a bit divergent in styles to communicate in that way. And then that other GM has to do the same thing back to you. You almost have to reconsider the way you communicate when you're building together so that you're on the same page. One of the things between the three of us, because we all have slightly different learning styles, complementary playing styles, complementary thought processes, likes, loves, wants, dislikes, and that. But one of the things that we don't share in all aspects is that communication style. The big joke around here is Josh speaks fluent Liwanika. Liwanika <laughs> is not as good as speaking Josh or Glenn at any given time. And there are times where I will try to type something. I get question marks, crickets, or what the hell are you trying to say? <laughs> and then it's, this is going to be much easier if I because like, yeah, I'm, I am not going to be able to type this out right now. It happened for, earlier for, today. <laughs> yeah, earlier today. It's, I could have got... We, we honestly could still be having this conversation if I continued to try to type it. I was never going to be able to get those words out in a way that made sense. But if you work with somebody long enough or you know somebody long enough, you figure that stuff out and you find the best way to communicate. And then you try your best to communicate in that way. And give your, for DMs who are considering this out there, give yourself some grace. It's never going to be perfect. A mistake, an error, a miss, something's going to happen. You can navigate through it. Once the events happen, we'll probably pop back on the show at some point and tell you about one of those for the Star Trek Ad- Adventures game. We There was a miss somewhere along the way with the way something happened. We figured it out when we were editing episode three, which hasn't aired yet. And we're like, oh, we can – or episode two, which hasn't aired yet or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we can fix that though. So we just yeah. came up with a way to fix it. It's been fixed. And then once that episode airs, we'll talk about it. But it yeah. genuinely – 
It was actually funny. It was just like, yeah. oh, I meant that. I must. It was either a typo or something that was misseen at some point. But oh, they were supposed to be whatever. So X Y Z, right? Yeah. Those yeah. things are going to happen. Allow it. Don't sweat it. At the end of the day, we're playing a game and we're having fun. It'll be okay. Here's, Walk right through it, and your players won't even know. Yeah, here's the beauty of that because even within its own world, like. When you go through the lore, we were talking about earlier, Dragonlance, you go through the lore of Dragonlance, all of it is contradictory <laughs> throughout yeah. the entirety of it. So it doesn't even matter when it's the same writers or the same yeah. world. So you can- It's a good point too, is that communication is the key in a shared world. If you're sharing between DMs, it's you probably want to over-communicate a little bit just to make sure that everybody knows exactly, at least the parts that they need to know, right? Like I think there's parts of it that are yours, but the parts that need to be part of the shared thing, like you, you need to know this. And then if they make something that breaks it, I think that's part of the fun too, is you have to then work on the fly and figure out how this works in my world. Now that there's this magic yeah. item here, how does this work now in my campaign versus the campaign yeah. where they got it in? So. Yeah, how do you explain it now is, yeah, is, is part of the fun. Mm -hmm. But Lou and Eagle, what, what is your question about the Monster Wrangler? Yeah, I just like, how did the idea come to you? Like in my head, it's like I it never would have done it. And there's a number of end of campaign scenarios where you're fighting the big boss. And in order to make it as scary and as exciting and as challenging as that, I would need to have this slew of minions and this cadre of lieutenants, as well as the big bad, exactly. as well as all these environmental things happening, which Glenn right. is a pro at for environmental stuff happening in, a, in an encounter. And it never dawned on me to just have somebody else run the monsters. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, how did that come to you? Yeah, I steal very well, like any good DM does. <laughs> yeah. the, not the way I necessarily used it, but if you go, if you go back, Matt Colville in his running the game series does an episode where he talks about a quote monster wrangler, but that's more like a player is like tracking like movement and hit points in a big encounter or something like that. I just took it a step further because with the finale, so if you go our first episode back, the back in black episode, if you go to the website, we go over the absolute finale of our curse of Strahd, where they were fighting vampire and his lieutenants. And they were fighting up the, you can see the pictures where our one friend, Scott, our terrain wrangler, we've added to the wranglers built the mountaintop fortress Amazing of Mount Gacchus and the Amber Temple. And so it was oh. absolutely phenomenal. It was like getting Castle Grayskull when you were like eight years old for mm. Christmas. Nice. But I, I had them fighting against multiple of the, quote, dark powers that I, in essence, it was like eldritch horror type things that had been released from the Amber Temple. So these were big boy things. These were CR-20s. These were big things. And I wasn't going to be able to give them what they needed to run them well. So I asked Matt, my younger brother, I said, hey, you want to come in and be my monster wrangler? I'm going to give you these guys and this guy, and I'm going to run these guys. And that freed me up to do all the other things that I had to do. And the nice thing about it that I remember Thorin talking about when we first did it was when you give an NPC or a villain to another person that's not the DM, they will run them mercilessly. 
Yeah, like, they will. The DM, like, I get, like, we're all, like, big, tough DMs, and they're all going to die at my table, and I'm, I eat players for breakfast. And then we're like, <laughs> and then I want to bake you a cake in my campaign. Right. We're actually, like, software. We kind of run the monsters into people a little bit. We don't necessarily make the most tactical decisions. Not another person. They're going to be like, no, I want to win at D&D here. I'm going to not want to die, and I want to kill you because you're trying to kill me. So that changes the stakes too. So yeah, yeah, if you got somebody to come in, bring them in. Yeah, because they'll (laughs) love it too because they get to – just jump in and play some crazy ass villain or something. Nice. That's the way uh-huh. that Kel and Scald did it when we did our class warfare for their new book that was coming out to play test yeah. their yeah, subclasses in our class warfare. And they ran the bad guys and Scald mm-hmm. ran the encounter and Kel ran the minions. It was pretty good. Uh, other way around, I think. But yeah, I got yeah, smoked in that one. Yeah. Like I yeah. got beat down. Because they're brutal. We love yeah. Kel and Scald because they are like, take no prisoners. Mm. They will steal your lunch money and then beat you over the head with your own sandwich. Yeah. But they'll also yeah. design a boss fade that's got you, that's using spells that have you effectively doing a dance montage in the middle of the fight. <laughs> exactly. Which I basically flash danced through part of this episode yeah. uncontrollably, yeah. which was yeah. awesome. It was great. Real quick, I just wanted to say you commented about the terrain. You said it was Grayskull. I actually thought of it about the USS flag because to me it was that like only one kid in the neighborhood had that bad boy <laughs> three or four kids had the had Castle Grayskull the USS flag I love the meme that comes up this is the 34th anniversary of me not receiving the <laughs> battleship for Christmas right like I, oh every time it makes me laugh like, wait, 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 battleship or aircraft carrier remember aircraft the aircraft, carrier. aircraft yeah. carrier yeah the aircraft carrier yeah. that is the one thing when I was a kid that I did not get that I put up when I oh. put it on my list, even though I put the most number of stars beside it. What? It's the like one time I didn't get. Six. It was like a hundred and something. Like that yeah, money's worth been a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Like I literally could have bought a gremlin for the cost of the of a USS flag. <laughs> could have bought two Yugos. Uh, yeah. All right, gentlemen, I I think we got to put a cap on this for tonight. What a fantastic episode. I love it when episodes start like this, that we think we're going to talk about one thing and we wound up talking about virtually something totally different. We kept trying to bring it back to shared worlds, but man, what a great episode for folks trying to become storytellers and game masters out there. This is, there's, we covered a lot of, a, a lot of road in this episode. So it was really awesome to have you. For our listeners, and I'll do the same in a second here, Dave, Chris, Tony, how can our listeners find Three Wise DMs? Where should they go to engage with you guys? Oh, website, as I plugged it earlier, was uh, threewisedms.com. You can reach us directly, threewisedms at gmail.com. You also, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we are very active on all of those socials. We're always looking for questions, problems you're having. We cover it all. There's really nothing we haven't talked about or probably we'll talk about again. Awesome. For the fans of your show that are listening to us talk on the Three Wise DMs channel, you can find Tabletop Journeys at www.ttjourneys.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to go ahead and talk to you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. If you look up Tabletop Journeys, you should find us on any of those at TT Journeys on Twitter and Instagram. And I think the Facebook page is also www.facebook.com slash TT Journeys. So you can engage with us there also. And if you're interested in getting into our actual play action, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. 
That's right. For our Patreon. We love to talk to players, DMs. We love to talk to other content creators, other podcasters. And I look forward to having this conversation continue. Like I said earlier, I've been a listener of your show since the beginning. When Josh and I first tossed around the idea of doing a podcast, the first thing I did was let me go out and listen to some other podcasts. And yours was one of the first ones that I came to. And I'm like, I dig that. And I love the fact that you're taking these questions. We do uh, questions from the audience episode every so often and a lot of that very first one was an idea that I'm like these guys are doing this every week we got to at least do this a couple times a year yeah. uh, we got to keep up <laughs> and now we're so, collaborating uh, with them, which it. is great the collaboration yeah, yeah. episodes that awesome. we do are some of my favorite podcast no, a great awesome. excuse to talk to awesome people doing awesome things no, I really appreciate you guys the invite I really yeah, do absolutely yeah. Really absolutely do. Yeah, let's see. So next week, next week, we're actually going to get, so we talked about our NPC episode a couple weeks ago when we talked about sidekicks in particular. We're going to break out our NPC episode, start talking about how to craft NPCs. Dave, that you, that you mentioned yeah. Chris's article about, about NPCs there. I was looking it up while you were talking. So that's a, that is now in my reading material in advance for that week. Gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Glad to have you on. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for recording with us. So thank you very much, guys. All right, everybody out there listening, thank you very much for listening. And like I said, we'll talk to you next week when we talk about seas. You guys don't have to close us out with a song like Sha-na-na-na-na, Hey Goodbye or something. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to carry that weight a long long time. Something like that. Fantastic. You know, and that was Dave, your rock and roll DM. Oh, dude, we're gonna do a duet. We'll do a duet record, singing the crits. It'll oh, finally happen. I love yeah. it. I'm all in. Yeah. I am all in. We'll get Josh's son. He'll be our. He'll be our second. <laughs> <laughs> see, see some background. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. Up. All right. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all. Later. Good night, guys. For all of you listening to us at home, thank you very much for tuning in for another episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this particular episode was not based on a reader question, but many of our episodes are. So if you'd like to hear us talk about an issue that's uh, specific, that, that you're interested in, please send that to threewisedms at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter it into the What's Your Problem field. Or we are very active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can talk to us there. We're always listening, always looking for new ideas, new stuff to talk about. And I'd say a lot of our episodes are really answering reader questions. So please send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you'd love to hear us talk about. Also, if you have not been to threewisedms.com, please go check that out. We post an article there every week. So if you like the podcast, there's about twice as much content on our website. Head over there and see if you like it. And if you like this podcast, please smash that five-star rating button. Give us a review. Tell your friends. We really appreciate all the help our audience has given us in growing. The podcast has taken off. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate all the support. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs.